Hello, and welcome to the pilot episode of Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. I'll be your host, Chappie, and let's get into it. All right, so I'll jump right into the first story. This was submitted to us uh, by one of our fans on the Facebook page, um, talking about her creepy childhood home. All right, I'll get started. Okay, sending you a creepy story from my early adult life in my childhood home. I grew up in a house that was over 100 years old in Kentucky. There were always strange occurrences that just became a part of normal life. We would hear people walking up and down the stairs when no one was there. Things would fly off the dressers and shelves from time to time. Water would turn on and off as well. Lights would turn on and off, but never anything extremely major and easy enough to laugh about it. You know, there's, oh, there's a ghost in the house, (laughs) but we kind of assumed it was the settling house. When I grew up and moved out, my mom and dad decided they were going to be over-the-road truck drivers and asked me to check on the house a few times a week just to make sure everything was good. I grew accustomed to this and would often pop in after work and watch a movie since they had satellite television. I worked night shift at the chicken factory, so I usually got there around 2 in the morning when I was stopping by to check on things. On one of the nights when I stopped in, every light in the house was on upstairs and downstairs. I thought, cool, they must be home for the night. I walked up to the door and rang the doorbell. Nobody answered the door. I rang it a few more times, but still no answer. I then used my key and opened the door. I called out, hello? You didn't say you were coming home today. Mom, where are you? My only answer was footsteps upstairs and the sound of utensils being put away in the kitchen. My normal assumption was that my stepdad was upstairs and my mom was cleaning up dinner dishes. They must have gotten home really late. The warehouse was laid out. You'd go through the dining room to get to the kitchen or the family room to get to the kitchen. I took the dining room route, following the sound of the dishes in the kitchen. I walked into the dining room and peered into the kitchen. Nobody was there. Odd. I backtracked, thinking my mom may have heard me call out and walked into the family room to look for me. Nothing. I walked the full loop through all three rooms. Nobody was there. Then utensils clicked behind me again. I looked back. Still, nobody was there. I literally ran out of the front door, barely stopping to make sure it was locked behind me. I called my parents, and they were indeed still over the road. I told them what happened and that I would go back in the daylight to make sure nobody had broken in and stole things, but I was sure what was there was not of the human nature. The next morning I went back, doors were still locked, all the lights were off, and everything was quiet as normal. I will never forget that night, the gut feeling you get when you know something isn't right, the goosebumps, when it isn't a human presence. You can always tell if you listen to your gut instinct. Thanks for that submission. All right, welcome back. We're going to jump right into another listener-submitted story. 
called The Haunted Dorm Room. At 18, I attended Cumberland College, now called University of the Cumberlands, and lived in Gillespie Hall, which was and still is strictly devoted to freshman women. Most colleges have stories that circulate about ghosts, and the story at Cumberland happened to take place in Gillespie Hall and dated back over 70 years. Cumberland is a Christian college and has many strict, strict rules regarding relationships between boys and girls on campus. According to the legend, a freshman girl, Henrietta, ended up getting pregnant and was so afraid of the shame and the possibility of getting kicked out of school that she hung herself in her bedroom on the third floor of Gillespie Hall. Afterwards, due to the negativity surrounding the room, the college decided to shut the room with a padlock and label it an attic space. Many people have reported seeing and hearing things happen in Gillespie Hall, but mostly on the third floor. Any Google search will reveal stories of things falling off the walls, TVs or lights turning on and off, etc. But those are just stories, right? I thought so. But then I lived on the third floor in Gillespie Hall from August 1995 to May 1996. My room was about 10 rooms away from the locked attic room. My roommate and I heard casual stories of the ghost of Gillespie Hall, but we didn't pay it much attention. It was only after our time at Gillespie that we realized our experiences matched up with what other people have said. First of all, I vividly remember the locked attic room. I remember when I saw it for the first time and was told by our RA it was the attic space and that it seemed like such a strange place to have a door to the attic. I didn't realize it wasn't an attic in the true sense of the word, but rather just another room like mine that had been turned into storage. When we first moved in, we went to the door and pulled on it a few times just out of curiosity, but just being near the door gave you the chills. We quickly left it alone. While living in Gillespie, our mirror constantly, and I mean constantly, fell off the wall. We used everything we could think of to keep it up, but it always fell down in the middle of the night. One night in particular, we were sound asleep and we awoke to a terrible crash, the sound of glass shattering everywhere. We cautiously got out of bed and found our full-length mirror laying on the floor, glass side down. We knew by the sound that the mirror had obviously shattered. Everyone knows what shattering glass sounds like. But when we picked up the mirror, my roommate and I were confused. Not only was it not shattered, it wasn't even cracked. The mirror was perfect. We picked it up, put it back, and went back to our bed. Our closet door would also open and close by itself. It could be shut all the way till we hear it click, and then we would turn our back and it opened. Our bedroom door was really heavy, the kind that slams shut when you let, let it go. So you, if you wanted it to stay open, you had to prop a chair up or hold it in place. One evening, sev several of us were in my room watching movies with the door shut when the door slowly opened on its own. My roommate said jokingly, well, hello, Henrietta, come on in. 
to which we all laughed. So I added, be sure to shut the door on your way out. Within a minute, the door shut on its own, just as slowly as it opened. We were more than a little shook up. <laughs> that was the most obvious thing that happened to us. Aside from that, the, aside from that was the very common everyday occurrences of the TV and lights coming on and off on their own, the closet door always opening and closing, the mirror falling for no reason, an eerie feeling when walking past the attic door, and hearing footsteps in the hallway to open the door and no one be there. It became so common that we didn't even feel afraid for the most part. In recent years, I came across stories on the internet about the ghosts of Gillespie Hall and was shocked to find out that most people who have lived there share the same experience. Since I firmly believe our spirits do not stay here after death, I don't believe it's a ghost of the actual girl herself. However, I do believe the energy she left behind through her tragic death lingers in the place she chose to end her life. Finding a whole new group of freshmen to haunt every year. Thank you for that story. When I was 12, my great-grandfather passed away. It was a pretty big loss for the family, as he was really the glue that held most of us together. The weekend after the funeral, my best friend came to spend the night. I was excited to see her and show her the music box that my great-grandmother gave me. It was his, my great-grandfather's so it made it extra special. It was a little grand piano that only played music when the lid was propped open. I wound it up and took the lid off and let it play through. We did that several times before going to bed. Every time we let the song play all the way through. An hour or so after going to bed, I heard what sounded like the beginning of the song from the music box. I thought I was just hearing things, so I ignored it. Twenty minutes later, I heard it again, and my friend sat straight up, saying that she was freaked out. So we turned the light on and walked over to it, to see that the lid was completely on it, and it wasn't wound up at all. As we were looking at it, it started playing the complete song with the lid on and without us touching it. Looking back now, I can see how it was likely a sign from my great-grandpa, but as 12-year-old girls... We were so freaked out that we ran out of the room and asked my dad to put the music box in the laundry room. <laughs> I like this story. So sometimes whenever stuff happens at night, you always think it's kind of sinister. So it's kind of nice to hear about some of these that are more lighthearted. I know they were scared in the moment, but it actually could have just been their great grandfather playing a practical joke or saying like, I'm here. <laughs> so that's kind of nice, kind of comforting. But thank you for submitting that story. The astronaut man. This one's kind of freaky. So when I was a child, I was terrified of this dark figure that would stand in front of my bed or in the corner of the room at night. The shape was like an astronaut and I would cry and scream for my dad, who would come running, flip on the light, and of course, not believe me about the astronaut man. This happened off and on while I was little, and eventually, the astronaut man didn't show up anymore. I chalked it up later to an irrational childhood dream or fear. That was until I was about 17 years old. I was angry. I had done terribly in the game that day. 
I felt like I had nothing to live for, and I was just very, very emotional and mad. Anyway, I eventually fell asleep, but I woke up in the middle of the night, and the room was feeling very heavy, and the astronaut man was back, and he was standing at the foot of my bed watching me. Something freaky happened in our trailer whenever we used to live in Georgia um, growing up. Uh, I was about five years old. Um, My family lived in a trailer. Me and my sisters stayed in one room. My parents stayed in another room. And there was one room that was, it remained empty and it always creeped me out. Everyone called it my room because I was the only boy. But I certainly never slept in there. That's for sure. Um, My sisters had ghost stories and stuff like that. You know, like, that room's haunted. (laughs) But, you know, as a five-year-old, I just automatically believed them on everything. Which might have helped my story. (laughs) So anyway, to help me not wet the bed for fear of the dark, my parents got me a Spider-Man flashlight for my birthday. So I could find the bathroom at night. Um, it was really cool. You flicked on the little Spider-Man guy. is the handle. And the light would come on. And I would have to walk out of our shared bedroom. Facing the creepy bedroom. And then turn into the hallway. Passing my parents' closed room. And then the bathroom. So one night... <laughs> Uh, I saw something on my way there. I saw something on the bed move, and it was a human figure staring back at me. I turned my flashlight on (laughs) because I was scared. I was hoping it was my dad or somebody, you know, like we knew uh, because I was kind of freaking out. So I turned my flashlight into the room, but nothing was there. (laughs) Me out. That, I was just like... You know, when you're five years old, everything is real. You don't have that rationale that, like, some things can be, you know, explained. Some things are real. Some things are absolutely not. So, like, your your compass is pretty much everything is real. <laughs> so you're just like, oh, legit. Okay, there's a monster <laughs> in, in that room. Or there's a, you know, a ghost in that room that doesn't show up whenever I point the flashlight at it. That's one of my stories from whenever I was five years old. Don't worry, I'll have lots more stories of, you know, us growing up. We did grow up in a haunted house uh, here in Kentucky, so can't wait to get into some of those stories. The trailer stories are nothing compared to the house here in Kentucky, so I'll get to those in some later episodes. I've titled it The Noise. It's a submitted story by one of our listeners. It says, I live alone with my dog in an apartment in New Jersey. As soon as I moved in, I heard the typical building settling noises, but soon started to notice things, not where I left them or hear doors open or close on their own, you know, especially late at night. I've never been superstitious, so I figured it was the house settling. Or if something was misplaced, I figured, you know, I'm the only one who lives here, so I must have moved it. (laughs) So every night when I go to bed, my dog lays by my bed or he gets up in my bed. So one night after turning the lights off, 
I think I see my dog by the door in the corner. It's odd. He normally always comes into the bed or beside my bed. Okay. So I say, come. And he doesn't come. But I see his eyes are looking at me. So I make that tongue to roof of your mouth noise, like, and my dog who is asleep then kicks me from the bottom of my bed. And I hear the sound I just made come from what I thought was my dog in the corner. It repeated. My veins went ice cold. Something was in my room and intelligent enough to mock my dog call. I flipped on the lamp beside me. Nothing was there. I didn't sleep that night, and I moved out a short time later. Nothing strange has happened since, so I'm guessing whatever it was was attached to that apartment. Can't explain it except what I just explained. I'm still not crazy superstitious, but I know now that there has to be more things out there than we understand. Wow. <laughs> that story kind of freaks me out. One's <laughs> about you know, a girl sleeping and waking up at night. This is called A Man in the Storm, and it's a submitted story. As, as it always goes, it was a dark and stormy night. I had fallen asleep in the living room, but was awakened by a sharp snap of thunder that rang through my body. The wind howled with the wolves, and the lightning lit the room like two-second summer day. I like how she wrote this. <laughs> As I got my breath back, it was quickly lost again to the rattling of the front door. I heard the knob. Jiggle, jiggle. I look at the clock. It's 4 a.m. Between the next crash of thunder, I hear the door open slowly and close as quietly as a whisper. I roll off the couch to the floor and army crawl towards the kitchen, away from the door down the hall. Soon, I can see his shadow facing the living room. He walks down the hall opposite me. I continue to crawl to the dining room and to the formal living room. I had enough time to hide behind a chair before I saw his shadow enter the room. It was long and slender like a scarecrow. I could hear his breathing between my heartbeats. He took his time, slowly walking around, not touching anything, just walking, just looking. He finally left and went again down the same hall away from me, where the bedrooms are. I thought, my mom, my dad, my brother, all asleep back there? I was the only one who could help them. I decided it was best to leave the house, go to a neighbor, and ask for help at 4 a.m. When I was certain he was far enough away, I crept towards the front door thinking of every floorboard that could possibly give away my location. I touched the doorknob with my right hand, wet with sweat, as if I had just been out in the storm. The door was locked. I managed with a shaking finger to open it. It just had a large, just as a large hand grabbed my left shoulder. I fell to the ground, unable to scream, but let out a breath which I was sure would be my final one. My eyes closed in fear. What are you doing? The man said in a more familiar voice. I opened my eyes and the sparks of lightning. I saw my dad. I hugged him and told him there was a man in the house. But it was him. 
He had gone out to watch the storm since he couldn't sleep, and he was looking for me since I wasn't on the couch when he came back in. Thanks for submitting that story. Yeah, those are the kind of stories that are that I like. There's a logical explanation to them. Um, <laughs> turned out to be her dad that she saw. Um, I've had similar experiences where I'm just like thinking it's, you know, the devil or something. <laughs> it turns out to be like my sister or somebody in my house. So I love, love, love when stories turn out like that. <laughs> But yeah, that was that was funny. She was army crawling, hiding behind chairs. I can't imagine what her dad was thinking. <laughs> what if he saw her army crawling? That'd be freaky enough. Walk into a room and see somebody army crawling. Just probably kick it or something. I don't know. But thanks for thanks for telling us that story. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, let's jump over to allthat'sinteresting.com. Um, these are nine true scary stories that are almost too creepy to believe. Whether it's ghosts, UFOs, or monsters, these creepy real-life stories represent the scariest tales from the annals of human history. While horror movies can surely leave us terrified, it's the true scary stories from history that really burrow into our minds and stay there. From true crime to the paranormal to just the plain eerie, the real-life creepy stories are the ones that provide a lasting fright that fictional ones cannot. Perhaps Mark Twain put it best when he said, Truth is stranger than fiction, but it is because Fiction is obliged to stick to possibilities. Truth isn't. History's most chilling, scary stories of aliens, murder, and monsters indeed remain far stranger than fiction. They take uncanny turns and deliver startling scares that no writer or filmmaker could dream up in quite the same way. Discover some of the creepiest stories that are entirely true and are all the more terrifying because of it. All right, our first one, the mystery of the Enfield monster. It shows a picture of Henry McDaniel looking at a torn screen door of his home following his encounter with the Enfield monster. It just shows a big hole ripped out of his screen door. It begins. One night, in 1973, the two young McDaniel children of Enfield, Illinois, claimed to see a weird creature lurking in their yard and trying to get in the house. But the father, Henry McDaniel, chalked their creepy story up to the active imagination of childhood. However, he changed his mind later that night. After being awoken by strange scratching sounds, 
McDaniel grabbed a gun and a flashlight and peered outside his front door. There, between two rose bushes, he saw a creature that was, and I quote, almost like a human body, just as his kids had described. It had three legs on it, a short body, two short arms, and two pink eyes, as big as flashlights, he recounted to a reporter. It also shows a news clipping of the McDaniel's eyewitness account of the Enfield monster. McDaniel said he, re- he fired four shots and was sure he hit the creature at least once, causing it to make a hiss, much like that of wildcats, before it ran off towards a railway embankment. McDaniel was stunned when he saw the monstrous beast jump 80 feet in the tree, or in three jumps, before quickly running out of sight. The police found scratches on the door screen as well as footprints in the dirt near the McDaniel's home that looked dog-like with six toe pads, yet no clues pointed to an unusual creature. McDaniel's sightings made the Reading Eagle, but it was clear most people didn't believe it was true. It didn't help that 10-year-old neighbor faked his own eyewitness account of the beast, only to later admit that his testimony was a prank against the McDaniels. It also shows a rendering of the Enfield monster, highlighting the glowing red eyes seen by Henry McDaniel. McDaniel reported two more sightings of the alleged beast to local cops, but he said that they eventually threatened him with jail time because nobody believed what he saw was real. But McDaniel was adamant and stood behind his scary, true story. If they do find it, McDaniel said in an interview, they will find more than one, and they won't be from this planet, I can tell you that. After McDaniel's public testimony about the Enfield monster, other eyewitness claims began to surface. Monster hunters swarmed the town and at least five men were arrested after firing shots in the area and claiming to have photographed the creature. To this day, no explanation has been uncovered for this small town creepy story. This next one is stories, creepy stories of people literally being saved by the bell. It shows a picture, patients suffering from catalepsy were once frequently mistaken for dead and thus buried alive. Oh my goodness. The term saved by the bell is an idiom commonly used to describe people who escape difficult situations thanks to a last-minute solution, but the lighthearted phrase actually may have a true scary story behind it related to a medical condition known as catalepsy. Catalepsy is a medical condition in which a patient endures an uncontrolled state of muscle rigid rigidity and unresponsiveness the condition is often linked with episodes of catatonia although the disease is widely understood now in the past it caused sufferers to be mistakenly buried alive after newspapers reported on these tragic endings writers like edgar Allan poe built similar incidents in his own creepy stories Shows a picture, a design for a safety coffin featuring an above-ground bell that could be rung from the inside of a coffin. The frequency of a catalepsy patient being mistaken for dead people led to a string of quick-fix solutions by doctors 
and gravekeepers, though many of these ideas created new horrors of their own. One well-intentioned yet morbid solution was the creation of waiting mortuaries. In these hospitals of the dead, the bodies of suddenly catatonic patients were kept under observations for a few days to make sure they were actually dead. Waiting mortuaries were well stocked with food, wine, and cigars in the event that a patient woke up. Another more gruesome solution, solution in quotes, to avoid burying those who were still alive was to perform examinations to test the deadness of the patient. People thought to be dead had their fingers hacked off or endured smoke being literally blown up their butt. The assumption was that if the person didn't wake up, then that meant they were unequivocally dead. Otherwise, the procedure was used to revive those who were on the edge of death via tobacco's supposed restorative properties. There was only one problem with such tests. Catalepsy prevents patients from feeling pain during their catatonic state, so employing extreme me measures proved to be an ineffective me method of confirming whether a person was dead or alive. True scary stories of being buried alive also spawned the creation of the safety coffin. In the 18th and 19th century Europe, especially Victorian England, enough people were being mistakenly buried alive that coffin makers became, came up with a number of solutions. These caskets were designed with an above-ground horn or bell that a person who found themselves mistakenly buried alive could ring from the inside when they woke up trapped underground. Some of these safety coffins also came equipped with a stash of poison in case the person figured out they wouldn't be saved. Other models used glass panes that would fog up if the person was still breathing. Some had tubes that gravekeepers would have to sniff each day to confirm the body inside was actually decomposing. Other people were simply buried with the keys to their own coffin in their pocket. But the bell models were among the most pervasive. These morbid contraptions were allegedly where the, where the phrase saved by the bell comes from, according to some. It's unclear whether these safety coffins did any good to reduce the number of people who were accidentally buried alive, but the thought of being trapped with no escape for eternity is enough to send a chill down your spine. The Unexplained Number Stations Radio listeners around the world have been puzzled by mysterious broadcasts emanating from so-called number stations. At the height of the Cold War, when radio was still a top medium for disseminating news and information, many listeners accidentally stumbled into rather unnerving programming. These creepy broadcasts would typically begin with a strange melody or several beeps, and were followed by a voice of a woman or child reciting seemingly random numbers. These transmissions played routinely and last for several minutes on frequencies that listeners dubbed number stations. The discovery of these strange number stations quickly gained attention among those who were fortunate to find them, unfortunate to find themselves listening to these mysterious broadcasts. The phenomenon also spawned a fringe group of radio listeners dedicated to solving the mystery of who was sending these broadcasts and why. Each number station they discovered was given a name depending on the nature of its broadcast. Among the most well-known were the Nancy Adam, Susan, the Gong Station, the Lincolnshire Poacher, 
They were all uniquely bizarre in their own way, spurring a number of creepy stories about who could possibly be behind them. It wasn't until the 1980s that amateur sleuths tracking these numbers stations hypothesized that the mysterious broadcasts were actually coded messages used in espionage operations around the globe. The idea has been supported by figures like Rupert Allison, an author who specializes in espionage, and writes under the pen name Nigel West. Nobody has found a more convenient and expedient way of communicating with an agent, Allison said. Their sole purpose is for the intelligent agencies to communicate with their agents in denied areas, a territory where it is difficult to use consensual form of communications. Remarkably, the short waves of alleged coded messages can still be found on the radio today, so long as one is diligent enough to search for them. Espionage tactics may seem like the most plausible explanation for these ghostly signals, but the true intent of some of these number stations have never been cracked. One station, known as the Buzzer, has been sent out mysterious broadcasts since the Cold War. It features two buzzes at the top of every hour, followed by a monotonous drone between every 21st and 34th minute during daylight hours. A voice follows reading a string of numbers, words, or names in Russian, like Anna, Nikolai, Ivan, Tatiana, and Roman. It is initially believed that broadcast was set up by the Soviet authorities, but after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the strange radio broadcast only became more active. To this day, no one knows who started it what it's about, or why it continues. The true scary story of Number Station goes on. Scary stories of the Hotel del Salto, Colombia's cliffside suicide palace. Though it was a popular vacation destination in the 1920s, the Hotel de San- del Santo, Salto soon garnered a far darker reputation. Thrill-seekers traveling to Colombia will likely be attracted to the true scary stories surrounded, surrounding the Hotel de Salto, a former hotel-turned-museum purported to be one of the most haunted places in the country. Hotel de Salto, which translates literally to Hotel of the Leap, has allegedly been haunted since it was first constructed as a mansion in 1923. It was designed by architect Carlos Arturo Tapias, who was inspired by the French architecture aesthetic that was popular during the time. Its location overlooking the famous Tequendama Falls gave the mansion breathtaking views, but according to some creepy stories, the falls may also be the source of its alleged hauntings. The once abandoned and allegedly haunted hotel has since become a popular museum, but locals still tell creepy stories about what goes on in the hotel after dark. The mansion was once the scene of many lavish parties, and by 1828 was turned into a popular hotel. But then the horrific tragedies began. Hotel patrons inexplicably leaped to their deaths out of their windows. At least one homicide took place there, where a guest brutally murdered a young socialite in one of the rooms, splattering the walls with her blood. Meanwhile, guests of the notorious Hotel de Santo claim to witness spooky apparitions that appear all around the hotel at night, including the ghost that murdered the socialite. In the local legends, the 
Tekindama Falls is said to have been where many people of the indigenous Musca tribe escaped from Spanish colonizers by leaping off the nearby cliff centuries before. The Hotel del Santo sits on a cliff as tall as 500 feet. Though the native legend says the Musca were incarnated into flying eagles as they jumped off the cliffs, thus surviving the brutal plunge, locals believe the land has since been cursed by the Musca, some of whom may not survive their attempts to escape the Spanish invaders. Even after it was shuttered in 1990s, the scary stories about the hotel continue to emerge. Some claim loud screams can still be heard coming from the abandoned hotel. Additionally, they say that the constant mudslides on the road to reach the property and the stench from the heavily polluted river water further prove paranormal activity on the grounds. Today, the once rundown hotel has been converted into a sleek and stylish cultural museum. Curious visitors can tour the former hotel, but only during business hours, which end at 5 p.m. Well, before the scary stories say the ghost appears. The Terror of Operation Wandering Soul U.S. troops in Vietnam would blast ghost sounds on loudspeakers as they fought their way through the jungle. If there's anything more effective than physical weapons to defeat enemy soldiers in a war, it's psychological terror. That's just what U.S. troops employed during their invasion in the, in the Vietnam War. In Vietnamese culture, given a proper burial to a loved one in their birthplace ensures their contentment in the afterlife. If not, it is believed that the deceased soul will wander aimlessly as it tries to find its way home. U.S. forces in the Vietnam War were aware of this belief and took advantage of it to cause terror. Knowing that the Vietnamese people were worried many of the soldiers would die far from home and unable to be properly buried, U.S. forces employed a freaky psychological scare tactic known as Operation Wandering Soul. The 6th Psychological Operations Battalion of the U.S. Army broadcasted disturbing moans of disembodied voices throughout the Vietnamese jungle where the battles took place. These fake tapes were played over a, loud, a series of loudspeakers or dispatched from overhead planes. For many Vietnamese soldiers, hearing the cries of supposedly lost souls piercing through the dark was nothing short of terrifying. The scare tactic was inspired by the Ghost Army of World War II, a unit of inflatable tanks and personal carriers used to fool German intelligence forces into thinking the Allies had more troops and tanks than they actually did. These hair-raising messages that played in the Vietnam Battlefield successfully convinced many nervous Vietnamese soldiers that their fallen comrades were skulking invisibly among them. Many of the fake ghost messages recorded were created with the help of the South Vietnamese allies and voiced pleas to the soldiers to give up the fight. My friends, I have come back to let you know I am dead. I am dead. Don't end up like me. Go home, friends, before it's too late. These tapes were convincing enough to send hundreds of men fleeing from the mountains. Of course, not all Vietnamese soldiers fell for this spooky psychological operation, but even in the midst of a war, 
it still struck a chord. The soldiers who remained fired in the direction of the eerie voices, reminding them of the very real possibility of death that awaited for them if they were defeated. Let's take a short break and get right back into it after this. All right. The Beast of Gavaldon. Gavaldon. According to centuries-old creepy stories, the Beast of Gavaldon killed some 300 people. In 18th century Gavaldon, an idyllic country territory in France, a horrific series of slayings and scary stories about a killer had residents up in arms. But the perpetrator was to believe to be not a man, but a beastly monster that resembled a wolf. The first victim was Jean Boulet, a or Jean Boulet, a 14-year-old shepherdess who was mysteriously found dead in 1764 with her throat ripped out. Then another teen victim was discovered a month later. The second victim allegedly described her killer as a horrible beast before taking their last breath. Hundreds more were mauled with their throats or chests ripped out. Creepy stories from those who claimed to have survived or witnessed the attacks describe an enormous wolf-like animal with black fur, a large chest, and a mouth full of sharp teeth. These witness accounts peppered the newspapers, which quickly dubbed the murderous creature the Beast of Gavadon. French hunters spent three years chasing the bloodthirsty beast. Locals organized hunting parties in the wake of the brutal killings. Jean-Baptiste Duhamel, an infantry leader in the local militia, organized 30,000 volunteers to hunt down and kill the beast with the promise of a year's salary as a reward. Still, the hunting campaigns were unsuccessful, and the body count continued to grow. According to the scary stories that spread across the countryside, a farmer named Jean Chastel, who lost many loved ones to the beast, decided to take matters into his own hands. He allegedly wandered into the mountains armed with nothing but a pistol and some silver bullets. After taking a rest to read the Bible in hopes of luring the creature, the alleged beast in, appeared in front of him. Somehow, Chastel managed to shoot and kill the beast, triumphantly presenting it later to the king. Some claim that a cornucopia of human remains tumbled out of the wolf's stomach when it was cut open. These creepy stories famously inspired Robert Louis Stevenson's 1879 book, Travels with a Donkey in the Savannah and pop culture adaptations like Christoph Gahn's 2002 horror film, Brotherhood of the Wolf. But was there really a supernatural wolf terrorizing France? Historians have yet to agree on what exactly happened in Gévaudan. Some say it was simply mass hysteria, and the murderous pack of wolves or lions that likely caused the killings were exaggerated into some monster. Nevertheless, one thing remains clear. An estimated 300 people were brutally killed during that tragic period. Perhaps the true story, scary story is that nobody will ever know what may have caused those very real deaths. 
Wow. Guess that's where we get the silver bullet thing. Some superstitions hold that certain phone numbers are bad luck. One cell phone number issued by a Bulgarian mobile company in a particularly action in particular actually seemed to be connected to the deaths of at least three people, all of whom had used the same number before their ominous deaths. Creepy. Whether a, con- a coincidence or not, the unlucky phone number 0888. 888-888 has since become synonymous with deadly bad luck. The first victim, in fact, was the former CEO of the mobile company, MobileTel, named Vladimir Grashnov. He died of cancer at age 48 in 2001, shortly after receiving the number from his former company. Rumors suggest that the real cause of Grash- Grashnov's death was that he was being slowly poisoned by a competitor. Two years later, the alleged curse hit the next victim of the unlucky mobile number, Konstantin Dimitrov, a Bulgarian mafia boss gunned down while having dinner with his model girlfriend, was killed at age 31. Investigators suspect it was a hit job by rival drug bosses. The third and final victim to hold the ill-fated number was Konstantin Dishleev, who was shot to death while sitting down at an Indian restaurant in 2005. Dishleev, like the previous owner of the mobile number, was engaged with the underground criminal world. He was known as a crooked businessman who operated a secret drug trafficking operation. It might strike an observer that this true scary story of these high-profile victims would likely have died with or without the number particularly those who were engaged in drug trafficking. But the fact that all three men died within a five-year period was enough for the mobile company to pull the number out of circulation. Yet the creepy stories of the deadly number live on to this day. Alright, last story. The 1969 Berkshire UFO Incident. On September 1st, 1969, the Reed family claimed they were abducted by a UFO in Berkshire County, Massachusetts. Today, Berkshire County, Massachusetts is famous for its wide-open countryside that makes it a popular vacation destination, but the rural territory has once heralded as a hotbed of UFO activity following the alleged sighting that took place on the evening of September 1st, 1969. More than 50 years later, the true scary story of the Berkshire UFO incident remains perhaps the most chilling tale of an alien abduction on record. According to the witnesses' creepy stories, a disc-shaped craft was seen performing acrobatic maneuvers in the sky above the Berkshires that night. Others say they didn't see the craft but were taken aboard it. It's unclear exactly how long the phenomenon lasted, but many who claim to have witnessed the Berkshire UFO described losing time, unable to account for an hour or so during the incident. Everything got really calm, said Thomas Reed, one of the most well-known witnesses of the 1969 UFO phenomenon. It was like being in the middle of a hurricane. There was like a a barometric change in pressure. It was just like a dead silence. Then there was an eruption of crickets and frogs, and it got really loud, and that was it. 
It was estimated that at least 40 residents, including children who are now adults still living in the Berkshire area, saw the alleged alien aircraft. Some of them reportedly called in to the local radio station to share the bizarre phenomenon they had just seen. We had listeners call the radio station that evening, said David Issy, general manager of the local radio station WSBS. At the time, they didn't know it was a UFO. They just, you know, called the station to say something bizarre has happened. The large number of simultaneous witness accounts during the UFO Berkshire incident has made it a distinct case among the alleged sightings in recent decades. The witness accounts were so plentiful and compelling that the Great Barrington Historical Society decided to officially recognize the incident as the first off-world UFO case in U.S. history, some 45 years after it happened. Following the stunning recognition, witnesses formed the nonprofit UFO Monument Park to build a monument in the area. The monument means meant that as a landmark to honor the alleged UFO encounter that residents saw in 1969. It was erected by the group and signed by Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker. Despite the significant eyewitness accounts of the events, some residents of the town have fought to keep scary stories of the alleged UFO incident under wraps. The monument was removed following contentious arguments between groups of witnesses that built the structure and local officials in 2019. Still, the eerie aftermath of the unexplained encounter stays with the residents who bore witness to that fateful night and who continue to share the creepy story to this day. All right. Thank you for listening tonight. Um, we had a lot of listener stories to st- kick off our podcast with, so I appreciate everybody that donated stories, and thank you for staying with me. I know we we're a little all over the place tonight, but in this podcast, I plan on getting a little all over the place. Haunted objects, shadow men, black-eyed children, uh, the men in black, uh, I don't even know, hallucinations, uh, spiritual gifts. I mean, I want to get into it all. So I'm very excited uh, for this pilot episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, With that said, make sure to join us on our Facebook page, Paranormal Stories, Spooky Shiz is in parentheses. On that page, you'll be able to post your scary story to the page, or you can message me. Andrew Chapman, uh, from there, um, and send me your scary stories to remain anonymous. And I'll be sure to read them on the upcoming podcasts. So with that being said, I want to thank everybody once again uh, for being a part of our pilot episode. And stay spooky, my friends.